you're listening to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. So joining us on Planet Pod today, I'm delighted to be able to say that we have Emily Penn, who is the well-known, award-winning oceanographer, skipper and artist. Emily, welcome. Thank you. So terribly exciting, but I have to start by asking you, how did it all begin? Because that's not what you were setting out to do when you were at university. I think you read architecture, is that right? I did, yeah. So really had no ambition at that stage to become a sailor and to sail the oceans. But... When I was at university, I was very interested in sustainability and the environment. And when I set off um, at the end of university, I had a job lined up up in Australia. And I decided I wanted to get there without taking an (laughs) aeroplane. And so after looking online for opportunities to hitchhike on boats around the world, I came across this project called Earth Race a boat that runs on 100% biodiesel. Oh, how exciting. Yes, and so managed to get a job on board this boat as a way to get me to Australia, but along the way had the most incredible journey across the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans, and it really changed everything that was to come. So the free passage out to Australia was very different for you and just a complete life change. You changed tack in, you know, in mid-ocean perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So most of it was seeing some of these things that was happening on our ocean that I just had no idea were going on. So the fishing, commercial fishing that was mm. emptying our seas of, of all of the fish and the sea level rise causing that soil to become too salty and the plastic every beach that we walked on we found plastic instead of sand and it was really that experience that made me realize there was so much to be done for our ocean and our planet and that was before i think i'm only saying that was before the big kind of focus on plastic had happened wasn't it Absolutely. so this was some time not that long ago but 10 some, years ago 10 years ago yeah so was sustainability a big thing in university campuses at that point because i think that if one looks at them now it's beginning to take hold but it's still not um widespread across all of the university sector no if i'm honest it was almost the slightly dorky thing to be <laughs> focusing on <laughs> at university and it was the kind of thing that when i was doing my architecture design work it wasn't that cool to do anything about sustainability. So I really focused on it in my thesis, which was a very private part of my studies, um, where I really focused on that. Okay, so the green building movement hadn't really taken taken hold. So when you went out and you experienced that plastic, that was your first real encounter with those horrific images that we're now all really familiar with, thanks to Blue Planet 2 and Attenborough and the massive plastic campaign. So that spurred you into doing something, but how do you get from, you know, supposedly going to have a job in Australia, to running an all-female expedition crew. How did that happen? It took a while and was lots of stages. So the first was to move to Tonga and set up an enormous cleanup project. So Tonga was a place where I'd seen this plastic issue on that first trip around the world, Um, so somewhere that I really wanted to go back to. And that was my first opportunity at running my own project Although I did it all as a volunteer, I had a local family take me in 
so I had somewhere to sleep and food to eat and I started working in the schools and with the local community talking about plastic and then we culminated in this enormous clean-up event. So did you start that initiative yourself or was there already an NGO out there working in that area and then you just joined a project that was an existing project? So there was an NGO based in New Zealand that was just starting up and I joined forces with them but I then took this project myself to Tonga. How exciting. Yeah, so that was such a great chance to just find out about what it was like to put together a big project and I think it didn't seem so overwhelming at the time because we thought we were going out, so I sailed up with these um, other New Zealanders, and we thought we were going for a few weeks, and then I ended up staying on for another six months to actually implement this project, and it kind of grew when I got there, uh, the more I got into it. So had you any idea the size of the challenge that you were taking on when you got there? I mean, just the amount of pollution, the amount of plastic, the amount of littering, and presumably also an education process for the, for the people, the community that you were working with as well. Exactly, and I think that's exactly what it was. When I got there, I thought it was simply a logistical, infrastructural challenge. And then when I got there and started to learn the Tongan language and realised that there wasn't even a word for rubbish, because that concept of throwing something away into a controlled system didn't even exist in their culture, that's when I realised that actually... It was more than infrastructure, it needed a whole shift in mindset and a shift in thinking, hence a much longer project than expected. And most of that time was working with the local community rather than on any form of uh, logistics. So how did ex Expedition happen? And, and you know, it's obviously terribly exciting because it's all female, the crew, and there's probably a very good reason for that, so I'm going to ask you to tell me about that in a minute. But how did it actually get going? What took you from being part of an NGO where you've got a structure and a project, even though you were leading one, to doing something completely on your own? Yeah, so, um, well, it started first with setting up Pangea. That was in partnership with an investor who basically put up the funds to buy this amazing boat, Sea Dragon, this 72-foot yacht that we turned into an expedition vessel. And so that was eight years ago. We got that up and running. Um, and that basically allowed access to the ocean for everyday people, for scientists, filmmakers, journalists, artists, teachers, people that wanted to go and get up close with these issues, the same way I had done on that first trip around the world. And so that really was Pangea's mission, and out of that grew X Expedition, because I personally was so passionate about the plastic and toxic pollution issue, I then set up X Expedition with this all-female crew using this boat, Sea Dragon, that I then had the opportunity to kind of use to go to sea. Tell us about Sea Dragon, and obviously we'll put some pictures and links to your site and things on, on the Planet Pod website, but tell us, what, what does it look like? What makes it so special? So it's actually one of 12 yachts that were designed to race around the world in the wrong direction, into the prevailing winds. Okay. So it's... Um, a huge great big sailing yacht with a very high rig and it's designed to sail upwind which is actually very convenient because usually when you're an ocean on an ocean you, the wind's not always blowing away <laughs> and uh, and so sometimes you do have to go into it so having a boat that's designed to do that is fantastic um, and so after these boats had raced around the world a few times they were then sold off to all sorts of private owners which is when we managed to, to get hold of one but it's really the perfect vessel for doing ocean exploration. Uh, it can go anywhere, 
all the way from the tropics to the Arctic, and also carry a good number of people. So 14 people at a time can sail on Sea Dragon. So you need, a, I presume, you need a fairly big crew for a boat like that. But, but you said it was for everybody. So you encourage anybody; they don't have to have a scientific background or necessarily a sailing background to take part. Is that right? Absolutely. So we have four professional team who are sailors, and then ten spots that are open for anybody to come along. And those people are generally extremely interested in the issue that we're looking at, but they're not sailors. And and that's the whole thing. It's an amazing setup for taking non-sailors to sea. Okay. And you presumably are a sailor. I mean, have you always been a sailor, or did that come once you sailed yeah. to Australia? <laughs> so I learned to sail at the same time. Yeah, um, I've always been on the water, but I grew up sailing small dinghies, so little one-person sailing dinghies, which is a really good way to learn how to sail. You learn very quickly about the wind. But then it wasn't until I was 21 that I had my first experience on big boats crossing oceans. And so it took that experience to kind of gain my captain's license and, and kind of move forward in that. So tell me about the most recent expedition you've been on. So you've been focusing on plastics. And I think I'm right in saying that there's a, I think you believe there's quite a strong causal link between plastic pollution and negative impacts on women's health. Is that right? Are you collecting data on that? Or where did that come from in terms of a a mission and interest? Yeah, so it's a complicated topic. And just that phrase that you just mentioned there about pollution implicating, having negative implications on female health, we don't have the proof for that yet. What we're looking at is plastic itself. and the chemicals that are used in the process and also the disposal and those impacts. So when they break down and the toxins are released as part of the plastic decomposing, if it does at all rather than floating about, that is where we think some of that pollution impact is coming from or possibly that's where it's coming from. Yeah, or burning it um, is another really good source of these dioxins, these chemicals that end up inside us. So, But to answer your question of, you know, where did this all begin... Basically, I was out there on Sea Dragon running our programs where we were looking at all sorts of ocean issues and increasingly found plastic in our samples and then catching fish and finding plastic inside the stomachs of fish as well. And that's when I started asking more questions about if this plastic is getting into the food chain, then what are the bigger implications of that? And that's what led me to learn about these persistent organic pollutants They're things like flame retardants that are on our upholstery. They are fluorinated compounds that are on our waterproof clothing and our non-stick frying pans. And they are things like DDT, pesticides that we use, you know, and have used widely um, across the world. And a lot of them end up as pollutants in our ocean. And a piece of plastic is oil-based and it acts like a magnet to these other pollutants. And so I started basically learning about plastics that were coated in these pollutants getting into the food chain. What we still don't know for sure is how many of those pollutants are then also finding them finding their way into us, which is why a few years ago I decided to test my own blood to find out which of these chemicals that we were finding in the fish and the ocean are also inside me. And the result was? We tested for 35 banned toxic chemicals and we found 29 of them inside my body. How did they get there? This is the question. So 
it might have been from eating fish and exposure to a lot of this pollution. It could have been that the pillow that I grew up sleeping on had flame retardant chemicals, you know, in the actual fabric. It's really hard to know, mostly because we're exposed to so many of these chemicals every day. I'm sure in this room that we're sitting in, you know, there, there are chemicals in here that we're currently being exposed to. So if we ran a random control test of, of you know, 30 women that we might pick up off the street tomorrow, presumably quite a few of them, quite a few of us, will be carrying the same, not, perhaps not to the same degree, but certainly some level of, 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 of toxins and... And, and chemicals in our system. Definitely, I mean, potentially more. <laughs> I, I, I sort of think that I had a, a reasonably uh, good upbringing with a lot of uh, vegetables from the garden and, you know, being very conscious about where food came from um, and probably eliminated a lot of the chemicals that could have got inside me during my childhood. So, yes, basically, uh, we all, unfortunately, have these chemicals in us and, and we never get rid of them. Um, and what led me to an all-women's crew was that when I started finding out what, what impact these chemicals might have, some of them lead to cancer, but most of them are endocrine disruptors. They mimic hormones and stop those important chemical messages moving around our bodies. And so obviously for us women during pregnancy, that's very crucial um, that those hormones get around at the right time. But also the only way we get rid of these chemicals is by through childbirth and through breastfeeding, passing them on to our next generation. Hence I felt it was a much bigger deal for us girls having these chemicals in us um, yeah. and wanted to tackle it with an all-women crew. You're listening to Planet Pod, brought to you by Acula Management and The Planet Mark. Do get in touch with us. You can tweet at planet underscore pod or visit the website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe to the pod and download earlier episodes. I think the UN have done some research um, recently, haven't they, to say that the whole impact of climate change and the changing nature of our world is going to have a disproportionate impact on women's health as opposed to men's health. And I think that's partly because there's links there to changing climate relates to poverty, increasing poverty, lack of um, access, as you say, to clean water and um, good nutrition, which are vital for women, but also impact communities because of women being very often, you know, not just mothers, but carers across the whole community. Mm. So there's some major issues that we face as women. Do you think that women care more or differently about the environment and sustainability? Because I have these conversations with a lot of people, and particularly in the corporate world, which is where a lot of the work that, 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 that I do and my colleagues do, it, sustainability is seen as a feminised issue, so it's not something that big companies take seriously because they can't evidence the bottom line, and they, you know, it's a feel good. It isn't necessarily vital. We know that's not true, but do you think do you think there's a different relationship between women and the whole issue of the environment and the climate, or, or is it just that the impact is greater for us? It's funny you say that because it's something I've noticed throughout my whole career. How and another reason why I really wanted to sell with an all women's crew is because even when we were open, completely mixed, we attracted women in an amazing way. And three quarters of our programs were already filled with women. And so there is something there. I think that whether it's um, us, whether it's the women sort of being pushed towards it, or I actually think more of an attraction, you know, is that, that we actually perhaps do 
um, care more, <laughs> if, if I can put it that way. Um, obviously, that's not a blanket statement, but I think there is something about nurturing that we actually feel for our planet as much as we do for the next generation. Yeah, it may not be a coincidence, it's Mother Earth, may <laughs> Exactly, that, yeah, I think that's what I'm getting at. It's yeah. um, that there is definitely something there, and also the marine world. Um, and I think marine biology has always been a topic that's been studied more by women as well. Um, again, yeah, perhaps more accessible than some of the other sciences. Exactly, yeah. So when you're out on your voyages, what are some of the worst things that you've seen? I mean, what's been your kind of worst experience, either either being part of you know the, the team and, and leading Sea Dragon or actually something that you've witnessed? Is there is there one thing that really stands out for you? That I think the thing for me is when you're out in this most beautiful, untouched, seemingly untouched part of the world and you've got the most incredible wildlife and then you come across something like an old toothbrush and you're so far from any human being you just start thinking where's this come from who did that toothbrush belong to and it just doesn't seem right and I think that's the thing that I find the most disturbing is how human beings literally manage to get particularly their negative consequences now to every corner of our planet. Um, so there's nowhere that's untouched? Not that i found. And the best thing? The best thing? So many. <laughs> I think I'm torn between the incredible magical moments of being immersed in nature. That moment when you're underwater and you have a couple of dolphins come up and start swimming alongside you. They just come out of the blue and you know come along with you and then and then they're gone torn between that and the incredible experiences I share with other human beings because the people who we take out to sea on these trips have the most transformative experience but that experience of going through that with them is just amazing because they're incredible people they bring a skill or like I like to call it a superpower mm. there's something that everyone is brilliant at and we spend a voyage looking at where their superpower intersects the problem and where they can actually create a project and make a positive impact and that process is also completely magic for me and that's what keeps me going every day yeah. so you're creating champions and advocates as part of your crew and how, how do people get involved? Is there something, I mean, obviously, I should imagine places on the boat are very sought after, yeah. but how would someone get involved? And are there things that people can do who can't perhaps join you on a voyage? Sure. I mean, for the places, we're actually next year looking at really scaling what we're doing. More on that when we get back from this next trip. Oh, exciting. Watch this space. Yes. Um, and so we'll hopefully have a lot more opportunity for people to get involved with what we're doing at sea. Uh, in terms of onshore, uh, there's lots of campaigns that you can join locally. So uh, here in the UK, there's great beach cleanup opportunities with the Marine Conservation Society. Uh, there's Sky Ocean Rescue. We're doing a huge amount at the moment, UK-wide, particularly online campaigns that you can help join um, and, and fuel those as well. So there's some really tangible ways um, here to, to get involved. And then with X Expedition, please do follow along we're about to set off on this next voyage we're going to have 
a lot of content coming out from the boat. We're going to be interacting with schools, with the media. Uh, we've got some amazing uh, satellite communication technology from Iridium with us this year, uh, which we're very excited about being able to really take people along the same journey with us. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll definitely follow you on the pod and have regular updates. So that's really important. And if people wanted to um, support or sponsor, they can just visit your website and, and get involved that way as well? Absolutely, yeah. So expedition.com, that's expedition with two, two X's. <laughs> um, you can apply for a voyage on there and also donate on there. Or if there's some, if you can't go on a voyage, um, but you maybe want to support someone else to be a champion for you, maybe somebody who works for you or someone in your family, um, then you can also help that way um, and actually kind of sponsor a, a local champion to come and join the crew too. Well, that's terrific. We'll definitely get people involved with that. And just sort of in a closing point, and we've heard so much about plastics, and I think that sometimes you wake up in the morning and think, oh, you know, is there really any point? So one could be pessimistic and gloomy, particularly I'm thinking about, you know, that beautiful blue ocean and that lone toothbrush. And it's probably not a lone toothbrush, is it? Mm. It's probably many toothbrushes floating. So, I mean, do you feel it's um, too little, too late what we're doing, or are there real reasons to be cheerful around our action to support the planet and improve the, the environment we live in? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reason to be cheerful. So, firstly, it's micro-actions that have got us into this situation. It's that use every day of another bit of disposable single-use plastic that's got us here. And we can reverse that. It's simply micro-actions back the other way. So, looking forward, I think we really can um, stem the flow Thinking about what's already out there, I think trying to clean it up is really, really hard um, because the ocean is so vast and the pieces, by the time they get there, are pretty small. But what we have seen is the ocean has the amazing ability to bounce back. We've seen coral reefs that have been destroyed by high sea temperatures, the El Nino, and less than a decade later, they're thriving again. But the thing that makes them thrive versus uh, not is our input so basically when humans leave the ocean alone <laughs> when we stop taking fish out and when we stop putting pollution in it recovers and that's simply all we need to do and so absolutely but I love your idea of the micro action so so really our message is it doesn't matter how small the action is that you take as a listener to the pod or as a person in the street it all helps. So if even it's just one small thing, like never buying another plastic water bottle or never throwing another toothbrush away, making sure you dispose of it properly, those things, those actions do count, don't they? They do, absolutely. Or, or better still, a bamboo toothbrush. A bamboo toothbrush. Then it doesn't even need to go into landfill either. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we'd have to talk about toothpaste, which comes in those horrible tubes that oh, are not recyclable and we don't know what to do with them. So that's probably a whole, a whole other podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you for being with us and terrific luck for you for your, your next voyage. And we will follow your progress. And maybe when you're back, we'll have you back to tell us about things that you saw this time around. So thank you so much for being with us. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to a special outside broadcast edition of Planet Pod, where Amanda Carpenter was in discussion with oceanographer, yacht skipper and artist Emily Penn. Planet Pod is brought to you by Akil Management and The Planet Art.